Anyway, since you seem to be out of witnesses, I thought I'd drink a little. Okay, I'm going to put the computer down. There. Here we are. Hi, everybody. Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Straight Lock Cocktail. Forgot our name just for half a second. It's been a long time. Quite a Wednesday for you. (laughs) In the office, and we're in kind of a suit, no tie, but office around me. You're at the home office. Home office, pictures of nieces and nephews behind me and somebody go. else over on that side. And, uh, so you yeah. have a drink of some kind? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm having a whiskey sour again, same as last week. It's kind of nice out and nice summer drink, so that's what I'm doing. I am uh, having a, uh, a three-week-old blizzard from the freezer. <laughs> oh, that's, that's interesting. Who would have left that there? I don't know. It was probably a handsome coworker of yours. It's disgusting. An adorable, loving coworker. We have two rock hard frozen blizzards in our office freezer because Tyler insists on buying two because it's a good deal. And he never eats them or drinks them or whatever you do with a blizzard. No, I'm, to me, I'm it's important to have one to consume and one backup. I'm drinking an old fashioned. Uh, oh, nice. Bourbon old fashioned. And do you have a garnish in there? Do you got a little, was that a little peel or something in there? What is no, that? No, no, we don't have any peels in the office. I'm making do. All right. Well, you could put some blizzard in there. Yeah. So, um, head in here. There you are. You got the, uh, uh, I, I had the camera originally set up on our television in, in oh. our office. Yeah. But it was just too broad. And then you can see the bald spot on the top of my head. Vanity for that. Um, so here we are. Um, so what are we talking about today? I don't know. You said uh, you. This is your topic. You said. Uh, yeah. So what makes us us? Sort of. Yeah. So I mean, our 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 podcast kind of veers around into different things. Sometimes they're specific and informative, uh, and sometimes they're more esoteric um and the thing that struck me this morning uh for for a few reasons is this idea of uh lawyers as human beings which is something that even i as a lawyer for 35 years question at times um are we really what the hell are you talking about or are we some sort of freakish alien hybrid uh you know, that the sort of morphs our humanity morphs out of us once we get called to the bar. Um, because before we were lawyers, we were something else. Uh, and so I thought it'd be curious to talk about, well, what were we? What did you, what did you do before you were a lawyer? What, what makes the pre-lawyer Tyler Pollock? All right, sure. Uh, do you mean professionally? No, whatever. All right, whatever. Nobody cares uh, about whether you, you know, you're no. a man on campus in high school. So right, right, right. just sort of ignore that. Yeah. Although we can yeah. talk about high school hijinks if you wanted to. But I was more curious, you know, what our job experiences were like and whether yeah. we did things for a living that led us to this profession 
Um, and if we didn't, whether those things still have a, a latency or some sort of relevance to what we do today. Okay, I'm going to back it up just a little about me. Uh, I, I grew up in a big family. I got five brothers and two sisters. We grew up in a small town just outside of Lethbridge. And uh, yeah, I think that really kind of contributes to why I do what I do. You know, I, five brothers, I'm on the lower end of the age category. And uh, it was always a competitive kind of thing, right? So I think that that's part of it is this sort of uh, personality style, this competitive sort of perfectionist personality style. Uh, probably is suited well for that type of thing. Uh, most of my older siblings uh, did uh, either trades or, or uh, maybe more blue collar type work. Um, I think that's true. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and they've all been very, very successful at everything that they do. And uh, I, uh, I'm a twin. And so this is my rationale. I'm smaller than they are because I'm a twin. We are all a little smaller. And so uh, are twins born, smaller. Well, I think so. Yes. We're born smaller. You're born smaller for sure. Are little people. Well, not little people, but I'm not a big guy, you know? So I'm not, well, I'm not out there getting oil out of the ground or. Uh, so your non-twin siblings are much larger than you are they? Um, oh geez. That's a good question. So I've actually, there's actually two sets of twins and then. The other Seriously. set of twins aren't tiny people either. They're not little like me and my sister. Me and you've, my twin sister are a little bit smaller. Yeah. So you have two twins in the same family. Two sets of twins. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Oh, that's hilarious. So, and then you have having a twin too. Man, we're even more competitive. So, huh. yeah, that's sort of kind of how they. I don't know. That's kind of my personality style. I think that's where it came from a little bit. This kind of competitive thing. Hmm. And then, uh, and then my parents got divorced when I was about ten. So there was that that sort of I think contributed to this idea. You know, I'm starting to grow up, uh, not a little kid, just almost becoming a teen, seeing the world a little bit more. And you see this kind of horrible dispute between your parents. And I think that's, it hit me at that point. I was pretty sure about 10 years old, maybe 11, something like that, uh, that I thought, oh man, this world could use lawyers who uh, kind of care a little bit. And so I always try and think that I care a little bit, whether I, yeah, hopefully I do. Uh, so yeah, so I think that's sort of where I come from. And then professionally, you know, my jobs were always, it doesn't matter what I did. I mean, I worked in a grocery store forever. Uh, I was a janitor for a little while. Like a few, I did a few odd jobs, but uh, I was always a salesman. It didn't matter what I was doing. It was, it was a sales job. It was always, uh, how do I sell my services or, or whatever I'm doing to the employer that I had. So at the grocery store, it wasn't about making sales to the customer maybe as much as it was about, uh, you know, selling uh, myself as an employee to management and to my colleagues and whatever. And, uh, and then I did sales for Coca-Cola for a while. And I did sales for an insurance company as an insurance agent for a while. So I feel like sales has always been, you know, that sort of competitive nature too is built into it. And I think that makes a person, uh, it gives it, that's a, it's a similar skill set to what a litigator might need to be able to think on their feet, to be able to generate interest in an outcome, things like that. So, so hmm. that's me. I don't know what else to tell you. That's, I think that's why I do what I do and it's kind of where I come from. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and as we've discovered, we didn't know this when, when we hired you, being a former employee, now partner, um, we both worked at Safeway at different times. That's right, yeah. Which is kind of hilarious. Um, I worked there five years. How long did you work at Safeway? 
just about 10. Really? Oh yeah, just God. about 10 years. Five years uh, seemed like a long time to me. 10 was a very long time. But I started when I was like 14 or something, 15. I started I when I was 15 or 16. I think I was 16 when I started. My first job was a, was a busboy in an Italian restaurant. I did that for a summer, basically. Oh, cool. And that was chaos because everybody was Italian and family, except for uh, two busboys and a couple of waiters. Yeah. But then there were two or three waiters that were nephews and relatives. And the cooking staff were all relatives and the owners were, you know, obviously Italian. And, uh, and that was educating. Um, again, kind of like what you say, it's a service industry. Although when you're 14 or 15 years old, you just kind of want to get paid and avoid being abused to the extent possible. And I think your vision of customer service is maybe a little lacking because of your maturity. I did have a job while I was a busboy at the same time, cleaning tallow tanks for a meatpacking plant, an abattoir, if you were, where basically these standing rail cars get full of all the ground up entrails that they don't use guts and sinew and crap and they they put it in these rail cars and then it congeals like you know hard pudding and they got to clean out so what they do is they pump these tanks full of steam for a couple days and then they send a couple idiots in with a vacuum hose like a septic truck um, and you go stand in this stuff kind of almost up to your waist and, and, and you suck it all into these vacuum trucks uh, in temperatures that are like 120 degrees. Um, well, you earned that money. And then you smell brutal for days because you can't take enough showers to get rid of that. So that, you know, made me appreciate maybe what sitting in an office is. <laughs> um, so I yeah, did that, I was a bus boy, worked at Safeway, uh, worked at a garden center for a little while, basically just doing labor, uh, picked cherries. My grandpa was a fruit farmer. Yeah, yeah I remember Okanagan, you saying that. Picked cherries when they were in season, moved some sprinkler for him, more or less just casually. And I didn't have any epiphany like you about being a lawyer, even though my mother was a clerk of family court, oddly enough. Oh, wow. Um, and I was around the courthouse growing up, you know, from young. I wasn't that interested, to be honest. I went to law school mostly because uh, I initially thought I was going to be a teacher. And then uh, during a practicum, I sat in a staff room for you know, days and realized. Oh, I'm nervous. What are you going to say? Uh, I didn't want to work in this profession. These <laughs> people were very, not all of them, but a bunch of them were just bitter and angry and they seemed to hate children. And I was like, I can't do this for a living. I can't deal with this. So uh, I wrote my LSAT um, 
and got accepted to law school. So I was like, okay, let's try that out. Um, and you didn't even have to finish your degree. You got accepted after three years. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, again, I don't know why. Um, and I got accepted to UBC, even though I wanted to go to Saskatchewan or Edmonton. Um, but, you know, when someone says, would you like to live in Vancouver for three years instead of Southern Alberta? Uh, yeah. Sign Hell yeah. <laughs> so, so that's what I did. And then during law school, I worked summers at a thing called Lethbridge Legal Guidance, oh. which is still here, but it's not quite the same. But it paid pretty much as much as articling and you had no boss. We ran it ourselves, ran a whole shitload of trials as a non-lawyer, which was interesting. Yeah, totally. Criminal trials, a couple civil trials. Um, but the thing that kind of, I don't know, I, I hope has never left me. I've worked this for 35 years and all sorts of clients come to see me from all sorts of backgrounds. And I still have a great appreciation for the wisdom of, you know, my parents and my grandparents, none of whom were you know, what I would call professionals. My mother was the closest thing because she worked in the court system, but my dad was a postal worker. My, my grandfather on his side, he delivered mail as well. My grandma was a teacher. On my other side, my grandparents were farmers in the Okanagan. In, in having done some physical labor and done, I guess what you'd call menial jobs, I have a great respect for people that, that do those things. They're not easy. Uh, they're stressful in their own way. Um, and there's a wisdom to it, especially farmers. I love farmers because they do something that seems so miraculous to me, right? Which is they take something like dirt and seeds and turn it into food that feeds everybody. Um, and I find that really interesting. And, and it's so technical in so many ways. Uh, and so that I find kind of interesting. And, and, and so that's kind of what struck me about today's topic is, is as lawyers, we, we exist in this uh, myth of superiority or some bullshit like that. Um, we speak a language that other people don't understand. And the reams and reams of statutes and regulations, and, and there's more every day, we pour through those and we learn how to read them quickly and with a discerning eye. And, and it's like, we get to speak a special language and we're part of this, this closed fraternity. One of the few still in society that, that really has its own odd monopoly of sorts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and my sense is, and I think even in myself, I, I get it occasionally is there's an arrogance that, infects us sometimes and it would behoove us to remember what it was like before we did what we did um and that's kind of what i want you know, do, do you feel that still do you like you've been doing it not nearly as long as me but do you feel this sense of of wanting to maintain your feet on the ground of of not being a lawyer maybe i'm starting to figure out what this topic is uh yeah yeah i grew up uh, well fine uh, and I ended up living uh, on my own without not in my parents house pretty early about uh, 15 years old and I lived 
very, very poor. And yeah, there is, yeah, I've got this, I've got this sense that uh, I think I can appreciate that people come from where I come from. There's a lot of lawyers out there, doctors, professionals generally, that they're doing what their parents did or their uncle or was close to that or whatever. And I feel like, I always feel like I'm kind of the odd man out, even when I went to law school the first a whole year, and maybe even still, I feel, and I, you know what? Yeah, I do. I feel like this, I don't fit in. This isn't me. Uh, I, I was worried that whole first year of law school, someone was going to come up and say, oh, no, we, yeah, we didn't mean to accept you. You weren't supposed to be here. I still have dreams where I get notice that uh, they counted my credits wrong in high school and I never should be able to get into university, never into law school. And I got to go back and fix all that. I, I definitely feel like I don't quite fit in. And I feel like I've got this connection to these people that uh, are still part of my life. Uh, I lived in a very poor trailer park for quite a few years uh, going through school. And I rented it. It was there's two bedrooms and then this little room that was like a big closet. And I lived in the closet. I had a bunk bed. I lived, I had, I had maybe this much room on my bunk bed and I couldn't even do a full turnover in that bed. I had to just sneak in either on my belly or on my back and sleep that way. That was, that was my commitment. And uh, I had my desk underneath and my dresser beside it. And I rented the other rooms out uh, just trying to make a go of things so that I could try and work less so I could get good enough grades to get into law school. And those people are my people. They have my wedding pictures in their houses still. Uh, you know, when they got problems, they, they have my cell and they phone me. And, and I feel like that's where I come from. I feel like, and I'm not trying to be righteous about it or anything. I just feel like that's, that's my connection that those are, that's kind of where I come from. And so when people are dealing with things that are important to them, uh, I try and make sure it doesn't escape me that that is so important to them, whether they're fighting over $100 or $100,000 or a million dollars, that's their important thing. Whether it's parenting or child support or whatever, that's mm -hmm. the most important thing in their life right now. And they're entrusting me to take care of that for them. And while I can't accept responsibility for what a court might do or what their partner might do. Um, I do my damnedest to take care of them. That's for sure. And the irony is, I don't know if it's irony exactly, but when we hired you, I remember specifically that being a significant factor is the sense of personal responsibility that you undertook from young to take care of yourself. Um, and it's interesting, I read a recruiting article a while ago and uh, a high level recruiter for large law firms in, in, in the US said, uh, the best predictor of what a good lawyer will be is whether or not they have any blue collar work experience. Wow. <laughs> right, and, and yeah, it that's... struck true to me because I have the same sense. When I, when I meet lawyers, if they've come from a privileged background, they might be incredibly bright but if you if you were in a foxhole with them you'd question just how strong they could be when the chips were down yeah whereas when you when you meet or you get to know lawyers that have what i would call a more modest or even a difficult background there is a sense of um the ability to work through adversity uh, 
which I think has got some value. Here's the irony. I got to tell you a story. I don't know if I've told you this before. When you talk about having these dreams that you're a credit short. Yeah. Uh, when I was in third year law school, um, you have one of those nightmares where you wake up and you go, uh, I don't think I have enough credits to graduate. Right. So this, the uh, first term of third year fall in November, I have that dream and I literally wake up and start counting all my credits. And I realize that I'm a course short of being able to graduate based on my calendar. No. Yeah. Really? So, so your nightmare was my reality. So, and uh, I'm betraying my ignorance here, but so the next morning or that morning, I, I freak out and I go to the registrar's office and I go, I don't have enough credits. I need to pick up a course. And they say, no, you're fine. You, you've got all the credits you need. And I go, no, I've calculated them out. Well, apparently, and this again, this is the nightmare, which was my reality. In, in, in mid-November, I discover that there was a course that I was registered in that I had never attended. Whoa. Advanced Criminal Procedure with a guy named Jerome Atrins. I remember this because he wrote the text on it. And I was like, oh my God. Uh, and the drop date had long passed, you know. So I'm like, well, what do I do? I'm gonna get a zero in this class. I'm not gonna graduate. And the registrar said, look, um, we understand your mistake. And if you want, you can drop it without prejudice and you can pick up another course in the spring but my spring was already fairly busy. They said, yeah. or if you want, you could catch up. So I showed up in class the next day for the first time. <laughs> and, and I always sat in the front row because I had this theory <laughs> that I could learn by osmosis what I couldn't learn by actually paying attention. And I remember showing up and my roommate was actually in that class. Oh, and, and he looked at me like, what are you doing here? And actually, Atrans, Professor Atrans, he walked right up to me and goes, I, I don't think you're in the right place. <laughs> I said, no, I am. Little do you know, Professor. Yeah. So I stuck it out and managed to get through. Uh, so yeah, so, so your nightmare was my reality in third year. And, That's scary. Uh, but you learn these lessons, right? Which is... Uh, you can do things that you didn't think you could do when you have to do them. Yep. Right. Um, ironically, my best mark that that term was in advanced criminal procedure, probably because I read the whole, all the materials in the space of two or three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And so it kind of stuck with me, I guess, but uh, so it's kind of funny. Scary. Um, <laughs> and then the other thing that struck me, you know, in, in, in today, uh, there was, I got divorced. You talked about your parents' divorce. I got divorced in 93. Um, and it was a little bit traumatic for me. And while I was going through it, I was looking for some self-help books and I came across a book, uh, completely by accident. I think it was called the problem with lawyers or the trouble with lawyers. And one of the things they talked about, and it kind of relates to what we're talking about was, um, Lawyers, if they're not careful, they become these moral relativists. And then that carries into their personal lives. And they learn to argue any given case 
no matter how ridiculous. Um, and then to carry that into the personal life. So if you and I have a disagreement, the problem with lawyers is we get convinced of our rightness. And if we're good at what we do, we can justify to ourselves why your position has no merit. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't necessarily make for a good partnership or a good spouse. And I've always been a little cognizant of that, that uh, not everything is relative sometimes, particularly the things we do individually. Um, sometimes we make bad decisions or we do things that aren't uh, necessarily uh, good. Um, and I think, again, it, it behooves us as lawyers not just to be humble about our backgrounds, but to remember that we're not infallible, that uh, if we're not careful, you know, everything's arguable. So no matter what I do, let me explain to you why it's okay. Mm -hmm. Well, no, sometimes, yeah. you know, you got to acknowledge your uh, errors. And I think that's something that is sometimes lacking in our profession a little bit. Like, do you get that sense? Yeah, and maybe I get it in two ways. I mean, professionally, right? When you, you're getting lawyers' files transferred to you or transferred out or whatever, there's always this thing where you've got to look at that client in the eye and say, well, here's where you're at. Um, and maybe there's an error or an issue and here's where you should be. And, and so it kind of gives you that arrogance, uh, but you're always consistently second guessing what this other lawyer is doing or if you're fighting with the other lawyer you're always kind of second guessing well what are they doing should they be in a, doing something different what would be their best play uh so in that sense yeah for sure right where you're always professionally at work i'm always trying to figure out what's the other guy doing or what has he done where he or she shouldn't have or whatever but then on the other side personally yeah i mean i think it's hard you know i'm uh, i'm in my early 30s and here i am giving advice to very wealthy business people uh, about their finances and about how to divide things or what to do uh, or I'm doing mediations and my mediation practice is getting bigger and better and I'm sitting here dealing with very sophisticated people who are older smarter than I and trying to help them sort out their issues uh, and then I turn around and and uh, you know go into the kitchen and my wife and I are trying to figure out what to make for dinner or whatever and it's like, well, maybe I should have been on that earlier. Maybe I should have done something different or I should have helped the kids or I should have, whatever, right? And or maybe she's making a hamburger helper. You should go, thank you, dear. Yeah, well, for our <laughs> viewers who don't know, I don't love hamburger helper. <laughs> inside joke. It's an inside joke relating to probably the biggest fight my wife and I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I should admit it, I'm wrong. I was a jerk. She made some hamburger helper. And instead of being uh, happy that dinner was made and me and my kids were fed, I, I went to Max and I got a hot dog. Uh, something I regret deeply. <laughs> but we can laugh about now, I hope. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think it is tough. It is tough for sure. I, uh, I should be better at that probably, owning up to my responsibilities and my errors and what I could do better. Yeah, it is tough. It's a weird thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a fine line sometimes, you know, I've, I've, I've told my wife, I'm never going to apologize unless I actually believe I'm wrong. Right? Because yeah, that, I don't know if that's wise. somebody with a phony apology is problematic. But at the same time, because, you know, legal egos and the way we do what we do is, 
if you're not careful, you know, everything seems right. And yeah. so we'll have an argument and I'll say, I need to take some time to think about this. Well, good. And wow. more often than not, she has a pretty good point because I'm kind of <laughs> a dick sometimes. And I can go, yeah, you know what? I think this is what I'm hearing. And this is why I wasn't really owning it initially. This is what was getting, you know, so it's, it's that not just saying, yeah, I apologize, but explaining why it took me a while to get to that point. You know, what's really helped me with that uh, is, uh, is appreciating that there's another side. And yeah. when you're a lawyer, you know, everything is taught and trained into us that you got to advocate for your side and fight for your yeah. people. And the one thing that the, the piece of uh, training I got that really helped me move away from that was my mediation training. Uh, and maybe a little bit of my collaborative law training, mm -hmm. uh, but the mediation training really makes a person think uh, away from uh, these sort of positional ideas that there's a right and there's a wrong and one person wants something and, you know, and the other person wants mm -hmm. something different. And so winner takes all. Uh, and it moves you into this situation where you're trying to think about people's interests and what do they really want and what kind of resources people have and how can you resolve everything and make everybody as happy or at least equally not as happy with the resources they've got. So I think that's helped me. My mediation training was, was yeah, huge. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, I, I did a ton of collaborative law training. Um, and I found that the restating and, and affirming and understanding of the other person's position um, is so powerful because sometimes we just want to be heard to begin with. Yeah. And so I learned in collaborative, you know, saying to somebody, so what I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that your concern is this. So not asserting your own interests or your client's interests at all, yeah. but trying to make it clear or make sure that you do truthfully understand what the complaint is before you respond to it. And sometimes that has... Uh, an, an incredible effect on on the conflict the person just realizing that you've actually listened to them even if you haven't preferred an apology or a solution uh and, and i've seen it in mediation and collab for sure but in your own personal conflicts it's a really helpful thing you know oh totally Somebody, yeah so you're upset because of this and sometimes they'll go no you ass I'm not upset about that at all. It's this. And you're like, oh, right. Because we make assumptions, I think, sometimes of yeah. other people's, what we see is irrational anger. And you know what? Even if, oh, you know. Yeah. And you know what? Even if they're, uh, even if you perceive that their position is stupid or wrong or not something to be worried about, at least when you do that kind of discovery, you're finding out what's real to them. And that sure makes a difference. So yeah. both personally and professionally, yeah, that training has helped me a lot. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, and I think for it to be really effective, both in your personal sort of endeavors, but also as a lawyer, is it has to be, it has to be sincere, right? Yeah. Have you ever been in a collab where somebody's restating and, and they really don't give a shit? You know, they use the words. So what you're saying is you want my client to pay you more money. Yeah, I hear that right. lot. Well, no, that's not at all. What you're saying is you have concern about your capacity to support yourself and your children based on these factors. That's your concern. 
right? It's not about my client giving more. It's about you feeling like you, you're, you're secure. Um, but you'll get lawyers that just, they, it's just. Positional for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going through the motions, but, and, and then the person, they don't even sometimes understand. Yeah, that's, that's it. I want your client to pay me more money. Right. And then you find yourself as the other lawyer saying, well, it's not, I think that oversimplifies. It's, it's not the money. It's the reasonable allocation of resources to provide each party, you know, some stability as we go forward. Um, yeah, that's it. Right. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting thing, you know, I'm, I'm getting to, you know, closer to the end of my career and you still uh, find yourself looking in a mirror and feeling quasi fraudulent, like uh, just what you said, but still 35 years later, I'm giving people advice and I'm a flawed human being, you know? I don't know as much as I act like I know sometimes. Um, and that humility is frightening sometimes when you realize, you know, that in some respects, I don't feel any more intelligent than I was as a grocery clerk at Safeway, you know, putting apples on a shelf. Um, yeah. You're still this basic same person. Yeah, yeah. That's more life experience behind you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I wanted to chat about that. It, I thought it was kind of interesting. I think sometimes, you know, the public looks at lawyers like a, a monolith of some kind. And I don't think we're alone. I don't want to think we're special because, you know, we, we realize that we're flawed or that we, you know, have to have some humility. But I think, you know, the persona that we sort of send out there sometimes seems like that, that oh, we're a little better than anybody else. You know what, though, that sells, and that's almost what's in demand, right? Like, if you were to yeah. see a litigator uh, in the courthouse bathroom crying or throwing up before a hearing, you would think, maybe that's not the kind of guy I want to hire. Um, yeah, people right? do that. But it's a funny thing, right? I mean, you know, I talked about the jobs before law school when I was a legal guidance. I wasn't even a lawyer. Um, you know, I remember doing a trial in Pincher Creek on a on a summary conviction thing and the judge berated me about not understanding of, there was a case called Hodges case rule of relating to circumstantial evidence. And, and I'm a nobody, I'm not even a lawyer. Right. And the judge, you know, maybe Mr. Harvey, you're not aware of the rule in Hodges case, blah, blah, blah. And as a non-lawyer, I looked at this judge who was a senior judge. And I said, yeah, I'm aware of the Rowan Hodges case, Your Honor, and the correct interpretation is this, right? <laughs> so for a litigator, you know, as much as, you know, we're talking about humility, when you're in that courtroom, you you're need not supposed to, to show that. Assertive and aggressive and Confidence. you can't take any quarter at times. Um, yeah. And, and that's partly what the client pays for too, mm -hmm. which is I can't dither when I'm making argument and be as direct as possible maybe about the shortcomings of my case. I have to present it in a way that appears to be, I'm supremely confident that if you don't buy the case that I'm making, you know, you're making a huge mistake. 
Um, so you're right. It's it's this yeah. weird Jekyll and Hyde thing where I think we need to maintain our humility and our understanding of our, our flaws. But when the chips are down, and particularly in a courtroom, that's not the time to tell a judge you're not really sure if whether the case you're making has merit or not. That's not the time to waver, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, right, um, you know, I've heard people complain about lawyers that make asinine arguments in front of judges, and I've heard judges complain about that. And so I think there is a time and a place to acknowledge the difficulty of your argument. Yeah. I understand that this argument may appear, you know, to lack merit, sir. But this is why I think it has merit. This is why, in fact, I think it should carry the day. So you're acknowledging this doubt that they're going to have, and particularly in a case that's difficult. And then you say, let me explain to you why this case deserves consideration. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's more powerful than bowling through like you have no problems. Yeah. The judge can go, yeah, you're right. I, I thought initially you were full of shit, but now I'm starting to see why I might want to think about this for a minute. So yeah, it's what we do is weird. I mean, it's, just, it's weird, you know, performance art almost in some respects and, yep. and technical application yes. of skill. Yeah. Knowledge. It's, yeah. It's a strange road there. On Twitter yesterday, some girl, uh, woman her first day of articles oh. she had a picture of herself and this is this is me going to my first day of articles you know and and i and i just said you know what enjoy the journey it's amazing uh and i don't know how you're feeling you know in the first you know inside the first decade for sure but uh, feeling amazed it is amazing yeah, yeah it's uh it's never boring. It's never enough time in the day. Nope. Uh, and there's all these weird balances that we have in terms of uh, wanting to be better at what we do, um, but not letting that skill set lead to arrogance um, or worse, a lack of empathy, particularly for our clients. Um, some, it's, a, it's an interesting balance. You know what, though? There's got to be some, uh, I think, detachment uh, where I'm not, I don't have to own my client's problems. Yeah. Uh, but I think you're right. You don't want to have that lack of empathy. You need to be empathetic. You need to know that what you, that you're dealing with is the most important thing in your client's life right now. Yeah. It's all they think about. They're losing sleep over it. And I might have 70 or 80 of these clients, but this is important to this one. And, and while you need to know that you have to have that empathy, you can't let it eat you up either, right? You can't, you can't own that. Uh, no, not, yeah, because the, the, that leads to so many problems. I mean, yeah. our own mental, physical health. Yeah. You know, we have a, a colleague right now that's that suffered a stroke and a heart attack, and I, and I heard that she's doing better. But, yeah. you know, whether that relates to stress of the job or not, you know, it's hard to... It's hard to hear it because it hits home because yeah. when I yeah. heard it, I feel like, man, that's a lawyer's, that's the lawyer's fate. That's yeah. So you got high stress, which can lead to those kinds of outcomes. You've got, uh, if you connect too closely with your client, uh, that leads people to take ethical shortcuts. Um, yes. 
you know, the ends justify the means, right? If I need to lie and cheat to make sure my client is successful, you know, um, that's a problem. Um, yeah, I've seen lawyers do it, right? I've been doing this. Yeah. Uh, oh, I've uh, seen between, it. Yeah. I've seen it over yeah. and over again from some yep. counsel. Yeah. And, you know, and I think having, you're right, the empathy but detachment. But I can't own my client's problem. It's a balance. But, but I have to understand the importance of that problem to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I'm glad I'm not a teacher. I, I don't regret <laughs> my uh, shift in, in career uh, goals um, probably now more than ever. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting path we've uh, made for ourselves, Tyler. I, uh, I hope you enjoy it 35 years into your career as much as I have. Here's hoping. Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure how long we've been doing this. I don't know. We should let these people go. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it's been an interesting conversation this afternoon. Um, uh, are you working tomorrow in the office? Yes. No. No. You look no. concerned about the COVID stuff. COVID numbers have gone up and up and up. And, uh, they went down. Yeah. They went down in Alberta yesterday. Okay. Well, no, not exactly. They went, yeah, the increase wasn't as large. How about that? That's the way we should put no, it. The no, increase no. wasn't as We bad. have fewer active COVID cases today than we had two days ago. Okay, maybe it went down over the span of two days. No, I'm not, yeah, you know what? Uh, I am extremely effective working from this office, and, uh, and I'm going to keep doing it for now. Plus, I got this really new cool headset for I know, I know. Yeah. Yeah, um, I look like one of those football coaches. I bought a new pair of uh, uh, Turtle Beach um, because my other one's broke. Um, what were you doing that they broke? Before we, pardon? What were you doing that they broke? Was They're it a old. Call of Duty upset? No, no. They just, they get old. But um, So this evening... Uh, I'm enjoying the new update to Call of Duty. You can jump on trains and right go around the map on the train, shoot people. It's entertaining. It's a diversion from my uh, litigation world. Uh, so you're gonna have you're gonna have to get Call of Duty. Yeah, I got the headset finally. I you know what though? I've only ever played on Nintendo systems, so I think that I might be really silly trying to compete in that. Well, realm. the Xbox X is coming out uh, in November. Well, maybe I don't know. I'm thinking that there's got to be some justification for buying those <laughs> through the office. <laughs> I'm not opposed to that, except I don't ever go to the office anymore. I'm playing yeah, it safe at true. home. I get distracted at home enough. <laughs> yeah, let's anyway. put an Xbox at the office. <laughs> I'm going to let you go. Have a pleasant right. evening. Goodbye, everybody. Ciao.